0: We are continuing our series uh, about discipleship. What does it look like to follow Jesus? We, um, have, over the course of the past couple of months, looked at the stories of change. What does it mean to to be changed from who we were to somebody who could be classified, called a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And we looked at several stories of um, people in the book of Acts, People who were changed from death to life, born again, as the Bible describes it. Um, I just want to talk about quickly just places for this sermon, where where we've been, those stories of change, and then last week we looked at the the attitude of a disciple, the attitude of a follower of Jesus, humility, what it means to to have a posture before God of of need, and then that overspilling out into our actions towards other people. Where are we going next week? We're going to sort of close out this series. Ian's going to preach on the expectations of a disciple. But where are we today? Well, today it's all about love. The actions of a disciple, love. And so, to provide a little bit of structure to, to my sermon here, um, my headings are all songs about love. Okay, so because it's warm, we'll do a bit of audience interaction. I'll give you the title. First person to shout out with the artist who released this song, okay? So so the first one is What's Love Got To Do With It? Tina Turner, Turner, Andrew Walker, one point to you. There are no prizes. Um, Year released? For my time. (laughs) Lying is a sin, Andrew. Um, 1984, for anybody who's interested. What has Love Got To Do With It? Okay, we're up there. Good. I guess it's no surprise, if you've walked in this church today for the first time or you're visiting, it's probably no surprise to you that a church is going to talk about love. That's what churches are expected to do. Let's face it, that's not just a church thing, that's one of the most common topics in our society. Our songs, as you'll see from my headings, are often about love. Our movies are about love. Nearly every movie, apart from basically, you know, out and out, like horror movies or science fiction, have usually got an element of, of love, romance in them. Our literature does. Heroes or love interests, Mr. Darcy, Edward Cullen, whoever, you know, your favourite books are often, often the turning point and the, the central thing is relationships and love. So we're going to turn to this this letter of 1 John, 1 John, because this is what part of the Bible where we find love talked about an awful lot. So, so turn back to it. Um, somebody shout out the page number. I've lost it. 1, 2, 2, uh, 7. 46 times in this book, five chapters, the word love is mentioned. This is a letter written by John, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, Written to a church, written to a church to assure them that they are God's people. And at the heart of that is love. The God who is love and their call to love, to be a people of love. Jerry Bridges, an author, writes about our need to love like this. He says, our devotion to God finds its outward expression in loving one another. I hope that as you gather here today, that's your experience of this gathering of the people of God. This church. That this is a place where you feel loved. Welcomed, yes. Warmly welcomed, hopefully, but, but also loved. An emotion and an attitude and actions which stir up in you the reality of that you are loved. Loved. And maybe that's because it's not always pleasant. I hope mostly it is. But I would think that our experience of being in this church is that sometimes love looks like people prepared to say things that are uncomfortable, but true, and the best for us. We're going to look at this action of love. And so our next title, okay, is, is this one. Same old love. Deathly silence. Anybody? No? Okay. Uh, this is I, aimed at the younger people a little bit more. No? Selena Gomez. Okay. You, some of you are going, who? It's fine. 2015. Same old love. In her song, Same old love, uh, Selena Gomez is lamenting the unchanging and disappointing love of, of her boyfriend. She says she's so sick of this same old love that it never changes, never gets better. But in the passage that Hannah read to us, we, we are called, the church that John's writing to, and therefore we are called to a, an old message. Look down at verse 11, three, chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John's writing into a context, a church, where there are uh, some upstart leaders. He's going to call them false teachers, people who are not teaching the truth. And one of the, the marks of, of these leaders is that they are bringing something new to the table, something exciting. They're saying, follow us. You, you've heard that old message, and that's all very well, But but we've got something new to bring to the table. When John writes in response to that, to this church, he says... What I'm writing to you is not something new. It's something that's always been. The same old call to love. And if we were to to open up our Bibles now and to work through, we would see that this is an old call. A message that runs right from the start of the Bible... The start of God making this world, calling to himself a people and calling them to to love one another. Trying to create a group of people as they revolve around each other in relationship that they love one another. This is the message you heard from the beginning. This is the message of the Ten Commandments. How does Jesus sum up the Ten Commandments? Two things, love God and love your neighbours. Love God, love your neighbours, love one another. This is the message that Jesus will share with his disciples on the last night of his life. As he sits round, John 13 tells us this story. They they sit round at a table eating the, the last supper. And as he does that, as they come to the table, what does Jesus do? Jesus washes their feet. He models love to them and then says to them, as I've done to you, as I have served you, now you must go and serve others. You must love one another. This will be the mark that people will know that you belong to me if you love one another. That table, there's those disciples that were sat round with Jesus, some of them go on to write parts of the Bible. One of which is John, who we're looking at this morning, but another one is Peter. And so we read in Peter's first letter, twice Peter's going to say to the churches that he's writing to, love one another. Let me quote First Peter 1 verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Goes on a couple of chapters later. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble These two disciples who go on to be leaders in the early church, they've sat at the feet of Jesus. They've had their dirty, mucky feet washed by Jesus. And they've said, this is what it's about. This is the marker of the church. It is a people who love one another just as Jesus loved us. It's the same old message, the same old call. And so, yeah, don't be surprised when you come to church that we're going to say... And God's going to say to us through his word, love one another. This has been God's plan from the beginning. To create a people who love him and love one another. Think of the people that would have heard those ten commandments. The people who've been rescued from Egypt. The Jewish people, the Israelite people. As God gives them these commands, they weren't burdensome weighted down by oh, I can't believe you're telling us to do that God that's often how we read the Ten Commandments but actually the Ten Commandments are a group of, of laws which create a community in which people feel freed free to live without fear of envy or mi- murder fear of theft of property or the fear of the theft of your spouse Community where people love you and honor you and respect you. This is for a people who'd come out of slavery, where they'd been forced to do things against their will under conditions that were, were poor for them. This is God's plan to create a people who love one another. But notice what happens next. Look down at verse 12. Do not be like Cain. This has always been God's plan, but there's always been a significant bump in the road. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. course we go back to the start of God's creation and salvation plan Adam and Eve in the garden what happens that they don't love God they don't trust God instead of being captivated by the beauty of a God who has made them and provided for them they're captivated by a lie God's keeping something from us God's trying to hold us back and oh look isn't that fruit beautiful oh it looks as though it'll taste good and that looks better than what, than what God has said is for me. And, and then watch out for their sons. This is who Cain is. The eldest son of Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve had been expelled from the garden. We found Cain and his own evil led to hatred of his brother. And his brother's righteous actions. And his hate leads to murder. What's John doing here? He's saying this, that if we are a people who love one another, it's going to produce a response from those around us. It's going to produce rejection from the world. This is a warning, but also a preparedness that the the people of God need to have. Who's the world that John's referring to here? It's, It's those outside of Jesus Outside of the the rule of King Jesus. And that seems strong. Doesn't it? I think that seems strong. (laughs) Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. But I think if we dig into the reality of, of our world, and how society is responding at the moment to Christianity... I think we find some of that hatred. Look at the story of Israel Folau, the, the rugby player. Look at the discourse surrounding that, people's delight and hatred of him, that people would give to his cause to support his legal challenge against his dismissal. Look at the way that in the media, Christian motives are second-guessed and maligned. This isn't a pity party that John invites the church to. But it is a warning to prepare ourselves. But look down at verse 14. We, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. In contrast to the negative response that the world might have to God's people to that same call to love one another, he says here's, here's a positive. We will know that true change has taken place if we love one another. And what he's digging into there is that real love for other people does not come naturally to us. We'll come back to that. What he says, loving your brothers and sisters is a confirmation of your spiritual life. If you were here for the Stories of Change series, at the very start of that, Ian was bringing us this truth, how the Bible describes that change. It is a move from death to life. And John uses those same words here. John, the author of John 3, that chapter about as Jesus is describing to, uh, to Nicodemus. What needs to happen for a man to stand right with God, to be saved? He needs to be born again. There has to be new life, death and life. So let's look at our second topic as we carry on down into the passage. It's the same old love that we're called to, okay? Bleeding love. Anybody? Leona Lewis. A Leona Lewis, couple of yeah. Jai Esther. Nice. Yeah. I've got no idea actually. I don't, oh no, two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. What one? Okay. Bleeding love, Leona Lewis Grammy-winning hit in 2007. She describes her own response to somebody she loves. This uh, this un, she can't be helped response of, of love that it's it's costly, bleeding. Okay. What does love look like? This love that we're called to. This same love. This same call to love. Well, here's the example. Here's the the model that. We're given Here's the, the if you like, the, the image on the front of the jigsaw puzzle. Here's what it should look like. This is how we know what love is. Verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It goes back to Jesus. I, I would hope if you come to this church on, with any sort of regularity, you're going to get the fact that we are absolutely about jesus and we're absolutely about the the death the cross of jesus and his resurrection and we are because the bible is this call to love what does this love look like it's it looks like jesus this carpenter's son from nazareth who lived in the first century jesus son of joseph and mary Jesus who's written about in the the gospel accounts. But Jesus Christ gives us both titles there. The human but also this divine appointed one. God's chosen king who will save his people. The one who's been promised the fulfilment of God's promises to his people across history. The prophet who speaks God's truth to the people, declares it, lives it. The priest who represents the people before God perfectly as the great high priest who offers a once and for all sacrifice so that people can be right with God Jesus the, the king the one who will rule and reign in goodness and justice Jesus Christ laid down his life for us what is love what does love look like it looks like The one who has it all, who willingly gives it away for the sake of others. What is love? Love is the innocent giving up his reward for the guilty and taking their punishment. What is love? Love is willingly choosing pain and ultimately death and suffering for the benefit of the one or the ones that you love. What is love? What does it look like? The picture on the jigsaw box is of a Middle Eastern man in his early 30s, nailed to a cross by the Roman authorities at the behest of the Jewish religious leaders, breathing out his last breath and saying, It is finished. My work is done. Love looks like self-sacrifice. It is overwhelmingly costly. Kindness shown to others. It is a kindness that is given not to the deserving but to the undeserving. Love hurts. I think that's another song that I could have picked, but better love costs. That's what John points us to. If you want to know what real love looks like, look at Jesus, look at his sacrifice for us i think we would all i I would guess imagine that we would for some people put our lives on the line that we would so to speak take the bullet for those that we we love for our spouse or for our children family members maybe even the closest of our friends but what about those that we don't have a natural affinity for and what if it's not one glorious action of self-sacrifice, but a million tiny moments of putting others first at personal cost? We recently went through a series in, in Mark, an account of the life of Jesus. And in the middle of Mark's Gospel, after is it, the big reveal takes pl- place that Jesus is the Christ. God sent one. Jesus then describes what it means to to follow him. If you would follow me, you must deny yourselves, take up your cross. And it's rarely one big final death. It's 15 minutes given here out of my time for somebody else. It's a hundred daily decisions to put others first at the expense of my own preferences. At the expense of my own desires, what I want. At the expense of my own time, of my own comfort, of my own pleasure. I think parenthood gives us a little glimpse of what this is like. What does love look like? It, it looks like denying what I want for the sake of those that, that I've been charged to look after. I think the parents in the room could probably list off, you know, in 30 seconds, 300 things that they wish that they could have done rather than what they had to do. Just today. Because nobody ever wants to change a dirty nappy. Nobody ever wants to get up in the middle of the night. Love costs. And Jesus shows us that most gloriously. Because it cost him everything. To save a people for himself. And so I want to put a a yes but in here because i think that sounds good i think that sort of love is something that we would aspire to to be a, a people who who give of ourselves for the good of others i don't think that's uniquely a christian thing but when we see the standard that's laid out here i think For some of us, it would seem overwhelming that we would be called to love other people like that. When we think of the enormity of love that is required, for some, it it might crush us. I could never love like that. A couple of weeks ago, Jordan Peterson, the the Canadian psychologist, author, general rabble-rouser, He was talking about Christianity. He's a guy who does like two, three hour long lectures on the Bible and yet isn't a Christian. He's so fascinated with with the Bible. But he was asked about being a Christian. And he talked about how a Christian is called to to love. To be like Jesus. to, To selflessly love other people. And he said... That it would crush you. Who could possibly live up to that standard? To try and totally, completely live out a loving life. I think for some of us that's probably where we're at. I could never do that. But I think for some of us we need to be self-aware enough to go, I don't feel any sense of despair at this call to love because we immediately rationalise it. Love one another like Jesus laid down his life. And we immediately think, well, it can't mean everyone. I don't have to love everyone. Yeah, I could probably, you know, love most people, but he can't possibly mean everyone. It can't mean all of the church. Or we go... It must be slightly hyperbolic language. You know, he's just saying, generally, we need to be a loving people. And if we were to look inside of ourselves and, t- and say, that's, that's that's what we do. Some of us are so used to the language of the Bible and to being in church and to enjoying the, the goodness of church. that, But we can rationalise so that we could read a passage like this and just go, yeah, it's all right. I wonder just quite where your heart's at with that. Whether you are somebody who is rationalising, or whether you're somebody who's crushed. I think if we stopped and just for a second thought, what would it take to love one another, for people in our church family with this sort of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. No exceptions. I think that in those few, maybe for some of us, very rare, brief moments of clarity of the realities of our own hearts, what we find there in the the deepest recesses is not a fountain of love for other people. But if we we're honest, that we find sometimes in our hearts contempt for other people. The sort of moments where we just think, you just need to be doing better. Sort yourself out. That we find in our hearts not just a shortfall of the love required, but, but an active desire to love me at the expense of other people. In a moment of clarity, if we saw ourselves, we would find that we are far more beast than beauty. And this could crush us. Because we can't love like this. If this is all that John said and called us to, and that Jesus calls us to, to love like this, we would fail. And we'd give up. But let me jump jump forward to the next chapter. Because the cross of Jesus is more than just an example to us. Let me read from chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love and his love is made complete in us. We've seen the love of Christ, God the Son, but now we see the love of the Father. This is love that the Father sends his Son so that we might live. Great God's great plan to save us involves sending his only Son to die. To be a sacrifice of atonement. The language that John uses. A sacrifice that turns away God's rightful response to the wickedness of our hearts. Because although we can hide that, the, the depths of our heart from everybody else. God sees us and God knows us. God sees our natural attitude towards other people. And God sees our natural attitude towards him. But we, just like Adam and Eve, are people who say God is not good. who People whose hearts are not loving towards a good and beautiful and wonderful God. But are self-serving and self-seeking. John here says, look again to the cross. But now not just an example of sacrificial love. But as a sacrifice for us. Something, a moment of achievement, an act of reconciliation, bringing together two parties that were separated, mankind and God. And what is it that has separated them? What is the sacrifice for? At the end of verse 10 For our sins. For the state of our hearts towards God and towards other people, consequently, that we hate God and we turn away from God and we live for ourselves that is sin to look on into the face of the God who we've just read the God who is love one of his defining characteristics is that God is love Father Son and Spirit from eternity ever loving And a people like us who have turned our back on that God. He loves us and so he sends his son to die for us. And so if you're in that point of being crushed by this call to love other people because you know the reality of your own heart. John says to us before you even think about being in to try to love other people know this God loves you. we cannot hear that simple and yet profound truth enough God loves us as unworthy as we are he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us that we might live in him and maybe if you hear nothing else this afternoon that is what you need to hear mired in sin Doing what you know you ought not to do. Know that God loves you. And that God is going to deal with your loveless heart. God has dealt with it through Jesus. The price has been paid and that God is now working in us to create again a people who love one another. So final point. Where is the love? Last pop quiz. Come on, speak up. Black eyed peas. Yeah. Any idea of the year? 2003. Close. Okay, 2003. Where is the love? To be honest, this doesn't go, I just got an idea and I'm sticking with it. Where's the love? What does love look like in us? Well, who are we called to love? One another. Who's John writing to? The church. Twelve times in the New Testament, the church is called to or commended for loving one another. And that's not including the times that they are called to show kindness or humility, aspects of love towards one another. We are called to love the church, the blood-bought people of God. We are called to love one another with that costly, dying-to-self love. To love indiscriminately, no matter people's backgrounds, their ages, their sex, their faults, their personality types. We are to die to ourselves and to love them. And maybe at that point you say, well, isn't that selfish? Is the church just all looking in at each other? Now remember that John's writing into a context where to be a Christian, to say, I follow Jesus, I'm trusting in Jesus instantly would make you a social pariah either you're a jew who's saying i don't need all this old stuff anymore i'm following jesus and you've come from a family of jews and you say jesus is the messiah and they're saying no he's not he's a blasphemer and somebody who should be rejected somebody who rejects the law and our heritage so to have been a christian would have immediately put you on the outside would have made you unacceptable. And so the church was called to to love one another. To look after each other as the world rejects. I think we're moving more towards that. We're coming out of what's been called Christendom. Where even in our country, Christianity, even if people didn't follow it, would still have respected it. Would still have said this is a good thing. We are moving away from that. that context it makes sense then that the church is called to love one another but secondly that that love that we have for one another will will overflow into love for people who are not in the church because we can't be two people as god is working in us to love his people but then also to show the kindness that God shows to people before ever they are his people. That will overflow out of us. So we're called to love the church. And specifically for us, that starts here. With this group of people. With the members of this church. If you're a member, you've committed to, to love and to pray for and to seek the best for and to point to Jesus, the, your fellow members of this church. If you're not a member, we would encourage you to to commit to us so that we can commit to you. How? If that's who we are called to love, how are we called to love? Well, it's very practical, isn't it? Let me jump back into chapter 3. Jesus is the example we ought to lay out our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us, love, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Actions speak louder than words. Now, words have a place, but actions matter. We are to practically love one another. I've I've already seen that even today, I've seen that as I walk into church, having sort of been faffing around outside. The service has started, and somebody else is holding one of my children, helping my wife. That is just a very. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but that's just practical love at a very little, small level, we're called to that practical love. And I think, I want to say this, I think we're a church that does love each other well. We've got to keep pushing on into that. And I think one of the the questions I want to close with is is this. Are we a people who are prepared to allow others to love us? Because that maybe is harder than the actual loving. Not least... If you're somebody who is financially doing quite well many of us are old class of you know, middle class, financially comfortable there can be a pride in being self-sufficient, that we're the sort of people that need to be loving others, not those that need to receive love. We are helpers, not those that get helps. That sort of attitude is completely unloving to other people. It's pride. And it creates something which says, I'm better than you. Are we prepared to share our lives to the point that people see our weakness and see our need, for we all have needs? Are we prepared to allow people the opportunity to love us so that they can fulfill the commands of Jesus? So that we can be a church who loves one another. My other question is this. In the age of social media, does my social media use, does your social media use, does it equip you to love other people? Because so I think it can. And this is probably a whole other sermon in itself or a seminar or something. I think social media can be used for us to love other people. But I think it often isn't. I think it can often be used for self-love. Hey, let me, let me show you my life so you can admire me. I think it can also be done to just bring other people down. I think it's a good question for us to think on. If you want to know my thinking on that, come and grab me afterwards. But I think it's, it's a good question to ponder. Ultimately, let me as I close by saying this. We who have been loved, must love. We must love in the same manner of Jesus Christ. Dying to self for the good of others. Our love must be practical. Helping those in need. We must allow ourselves to be loved. Not denying each other the privilege of serving Jesus. By loving each other. In all this, John's aim as we love one another, is that we would be assured that we are God's people and that we might be a light in this world pointing to the God who is love. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song that calls us to rise up and to be the people that God has called us to be. Father, we confess that we're a people whose hearts are at the very best Mixed, Lord we ask your forgiveness for where there is that coldness towards others where there is an unloving attitude, where there is a self-loving attitude at the expense of other people Father would you remind us that you love us not because we're worth it but you have set your love upon us and you have chosen to send your son to die for us so that we might live and living is knowing you and knowing that you love us and call us to show your goodness your beauty your love in this world father continue to work in us here at REC and we pray in Jesus name